Today's show is sponsored by Foreground Publishing, premium pre-painted MDF terrain perfect for your Warhammer 40k 9th edition games, as seen on the Vanguard Tactics stream and battle reports. Just unbox, build and play. And to order your set of terrain, just head over to www.foregroundpublishing.co.uk. This podcast is sponsored by C Studios, the leading commission painting service for tabletop miniatures. From placing your order, seeing the work in progress, and receiving your stunning new models, Siege Studios delivers an incredible service and experience. One of the most exciting days I can ensure you is receiving that parcel at the door and unwrapping the best gift ever. To find out more about getting your army commissioned painted by the professionals, check out www.siegestudios.co.uk. Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics, 40K Codex Analysis, List Building, Strategy Development, Game Theory, Mentoring, our mission to help you become a better player and to raise the level of the game both on and off the tabletop. Here's your host, Stephen Box. Hey guys, and welcome to episode number five, and today... We've got no Jack Downing. Jack is not here. But today we have the new Vanguard Tactics coach, Logan Heath. How you doing, Logan? Hey, good. Thanks for having me. Logan, it is an absolute pleasure to get you on the show. Um, and thank you so much for giving up your time today and um, yeah, discussing what we have on the menu. So first of all, Let's just give the listeners, what can they expect from today's episode? What are you going to be diving into deep with? Well, just going to you know, really talk about what I've learned um, <laughs> you know, with this whole uh, new addition, you know, not being able to actually go out and play, but uh, you know, being able to play online, being able to play some in person, uh, but very limited and kind of what I've learned and how that's helped shaped my my approach with currently my favorite faction, which are the Salamanders. Nice. So we can dive into deep with the Salamanders, but also I think it's going to be really interesting for you to help the guys out there learn a little bit more about maybe some of the mistakes that you've made, some of the struggles that you've been through throughout this year, because it has been a really tough year. However, you've done exceptionally well this year. And one of the reasons why... I really wanted to bring you on as a coach. Obviously, you and I worked together last year before the LVO. Uh, you signed up to the prep program that I ran and you did phenomenally well at the LVO. Your conduct, the way you played, um, the results that you got was absolutely incredible. And this year, you've just applied yourself time and time again, every single week to all the clinics, all the lessons. And I just know that through the interactions that we've had, I mean, I've even had emails from other TOs about you, Logan, to say, Logan attended my event and he was an absolute credit to uh, Vanguard Tactics in, you know, what you do in terms of sportsmanship and fair play. So Logan, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Your knowledge of the game is excellent. Your knowledge of the factions is fantastic. So yeah, I'm excited to see um, what we can do this year. Yeah, yeah, definitely happy to share, you know, anything I've learned. Logan, tell the listeners a little bit about your journey, first of all, into 40k and then a little bit more about towards you becoming a vt coach sure so in the 40k in general i started around uh, 2001 2002 uh right in that area i was uh yeah i was like 14 and just you know looking for i was actually on the hunt for that uh the old battle masters game for anyone who remembers that 
uh, I couldn't remember the name of it. And, you know, just doing searches online led me to Games Workshop, which led me to a, an actual GW store. And I went in there, saw saw all the models and everything, saw the people playing. And I was just like, OK, I, I got to get in on this. And so I, I picked up, you know, some Space Marines. And then not too long after Necrons and Tau came out, I picked those up. And uh, yeah, it's just been, you know, I, I just really loved this idea of just moving armies across the table and then shooting each other and all that kind of stuff. And quickly found, you know, a local gaming group that, you know, I was just able to plug in with. And, you know, great group of guys. It was in Middle Tennessee. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was just a lot of, just a lot of fun. And what kept me coming back were the people and the community and you know just something to have fun with make jokes with and uh yeah just have a good time awesome yeah so i I was kind of you know in that did did some competitive play um did pretty well at atc in the early years and then you know it's really blown up since then Uh, (laughs) but uh you know and around the end of 2018 um you know i'd kind of like been kind of Cool, cooled off on 40k but then i was like you know what i really want to get back into it and i, I want to be more competitive so I, I started going to more events and then throughout 2019 um yeah I, I started like just listening to content again and all this kind of stuff and that's where i i came across your your videos um on youtube and yeah 2019 was definitely like a big year of growth for me i, I did a bunch of big events. Um, you know, I, I signed up with the Academy. Um, you know, I, I just started really, um, exploring, you know, how, how do I get, (laughs) how do I have success at this game on a competitive level? And that just introduced me to even more people and just seeing how the competitive community is really just such you know, they are a fun loving community. Like for the most part, most people I meet, um, I, I notice the better I do that the when I'm around the people who've really who who also have success at the competitive level, um, that I just have a fun time with them. And these they're some of the best for games of forty K I've ever played. Because not only is it a challenge on the table, but they're a pleasure to hang out with for a few hours. And so that's, that's something that, you know, I, I love bringing people in again, that community is just so huge for me. And so having that opportunity to just share with others, uh, when I got to, you know, join the Vanguard tactics team that, you know, the values that, that we stand for that, that you, that you set <laughs> as a goal for us to aspire to, that's what, I want to achieve and it's something that I would naturally want to spread anyway, but now it's like, uh, I'm kind of more of an agent, a representative of that. Um, you're like an, you're an agent, the assassinorum now, mate. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And like now I can just take it, you know, that much more seriously, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's more of like a, a duty cause now I'm representing others. Uh, not just myself. And for, for me, like becoming a coach, uh, I, I just saw it as, you know, I'm, I'm not the person who's 
won a ton of events. I, I still have not yet won a GT. I've done well at them, um, but <laughs> you know I don't have the accolades to my name. I feel like what I do have is that willingness to to share what I've learned. To I'm constantly looking out to see what other people are doing, what they're learning, and then can listen to what someone's going on, what they have going on, with their their ideas, and help them do the best with that with what I've learned. And actually, I think why I'm comfortable being labeled a coach is I have that willingness to help. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to, you know, walk into a room and just like, you know, be, you know, just take it down, <laughs> um, you know, at a tournament, you know, consistently time after time or anything like that. But I am that person who, you know, you have an idea. i want to hear about it. I want to talk with you. I want to see like, okay, are there different perspectives that maybe you haven't considered that could help this? So, so for me, that's just been kind of my journey. It's been a, a lot of fun to kind of dig into this game from all different angles. Um, so you, you have the, the, you know, just making friends. Then you have the actual like puzzle part of actually standing at the board and trying to figure out how do I win? Uh, and then you have, you know, getting together with people and everyone's trying to think of, well, how do I, how do I make, how do I get better? <laughs> how do I do this thing better? Um, you know, in general. And so, it, yeah, just all of that's just been, been fun. And so this, this whole journey of uh, becoming a coach has been, been great and really looking forward to seeing what happens now. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. And the thing is with us, um, being a good coach or a good teacher, I would probably say is a better terminology for what we do. Mm. Um, and an educator, you know, I know from my bodybuilding days, I know some of the best bodybuilders in the world, but I would not trust them to teach me about nutrition or training. Um, or I would not want them to necessarily teach my clients about training or nutrition. I respect the hell out of them as a performer and an athlete, but in terms of an educator, that's completely different. And it's a real skill set that somebody has to acquire to be a good coach, to be a good teacher. And that's something that I really recognized in yourself was that you have those teaching skills. You are able to draw out information from people, dig a little bit deeper, find out exactly what they're struggling with and take a complex you know, situation or rule exchange or whatever it might be and just break it down into its simplest form so it's digestible and applicable to that individual. And also the greatest thing and the greatest skill about teaching itself or coaching is understanding the person that you're talking to, understanding that their level and identifying ways in which you can help them just progress to that next step. You know, I could easily just type out the best meta list, send it to all of the students and say, guys, do you know what? We're all just going to play this one list because it's the best or here's the top five lists. Don't even ask me about, you know, what you think you should take. Just take this because it's the best. That's not my style. Mm -hmm. I want to understand more about your ideas. You know, you've been giving me loads of ideas about salamanders and, you know, I've really wanted to nurture that. And when we've spoke about blood angels, um, you know, we've really dived into deep into how can I help you improve as a player, looking at different yeah. phases of the games we improve on. And I know you've got that uh, ability inside you, Logan. So um, anyway, let's move on with some salamander talk. Yeah, sure. 
So what's the appeal, Logan, with salamanders? Well, so they've been, uh, well, like with most Marines, they've been going through a lot of changes. Um, but the biggest thing is them having the plus, the free plus one to wound in tactical doctrine. Now that, that doctrine only lasts two turns, but man, that's for me, that's just, that's been enough. Um, and a plus one to wound is so huge when you think about it. Like, you know, my, uh, if I if my strength four flamers are going up with someone who's like toughness seven, well then basically I get strength seven flamers, right? So it's just it's it's just nuts to think about like how that plus one when how the game is now how the wound um, comparison tables uh, strength and toughness shake out. Just having that plus one is enormous in so many different. Um, you know, facets of the game. And then it, that plus one, it only applies to flamers and meltas. However, um, when you think about the targets in this game and then the really popular units, they are either answered best by a volume of fire or weapons with high AP and high damage. Well, that, that's just describing flamers and melta right there. Yeah. Um, so, and they're only limited by their range, right? And then the platforms that carry them. So, but then you, you, you're playing a Marine army. Like there, I have 131 data sheets available to me. If I include uh, uh, Forge World, I think there's 98 in the core book. That's insane. Um, <laughs> so I, I have so many options to fill in the gaps and kind of uh, address the weaknesses of Flamer and Melta. But for, for Salamanders, it is... For me, it is just simply that raw efficiency that you can get from the plus one to wound on top of they have really good stratagems. Um, I mean, a stratagem for plus one to wound for your non-flamer melta weapons. I mean, <laughs> they, they have so, so much available to them. Um, yeah, so Salamanders, they're just, they just do the marine life at just a, a higher level. <laughs> um <laughs> They're not going to punch as well as Blood Angels or White Scars or anything like that. But, you know, they're going to survive well. They, they ignore minus one AP, which is so relevant so many times. Um, you know, I'll be playing against uh, an opponent and they'll end up relying on a lot of this minus one AP. And they're expecting me to save on, on fours, but I'm still saving on threes. It's a big deal. They just have all these little efficiencies that just put them over the top. And just uh, over the course of the game, they just kind of, you know, outplay a lot of books right now. And you get a, you remind me of the Salamanders. You remind, you ignore minus one AP. What is the other rule that you get in benefit? Oh yeah. You also get, uh, you just get a free uh, reroll to wound. Um, and that's shooting or melee. And, you know, this rule used to be, hit and you used to get reroll a hit and reroll a wound like for every unit. And it's every time that the unit makes an attack. So it can be shooting like with eradicators shooting twice, you know, you're going to get two free rerolls if you need it. And then it's on all of your units. So if you have a multiple small unit army, uh, then you're just getting a lot of free rerolls. So you're just like kind of getting free CP, you know, yeah, every single phase. I love that. So what I'm getting from you, Logan, is somebody looking to build a Salamanders list, 
we always teach on the academy, lean into the core rules of the army. Not only is it efficient, but it's also really thematic as well, right? Because it's extremely thematic to have a load of flamers and a load of melters with all the characters that buff flamers and melters. And every time you can improve your, um, you know, durability. So whether it's, for example, units that can really take advantage of a good armor save and then obviously ignoring that minus one AP, you know, stacking Mm -hmm. in some other resilience, you know, utilizing things like eradicators that do get to shoot twice. So therefore they get to use their reroll twice and not just once. This is something that you desperately need to be leaning into, I think, as a Salamanders player. So, Logan, I absolutely love that. So give us your top three stratagems for the Salamanders. What three are you like, okay, these ones make my army sing? Yeah, yeah, so Salamander specific. Um, so definitely the best one is, well, it's hard to choose, but um, the plus one to wound, right? Yeah. I believe it's a Crucible of Battle. And uh, what makes that so good is it just, it just again it adds that layer of efficiency so with like plasma inceptors right you know their strength seven let's say you're going up against a toughness seven target well you're wounding on force well okay i can have the option to overcharge to so give them plus one strength okay now your strength eight wounding on threes well now i can spin a cp now i'm wounding them on twos i basically just like doubled the effectively doubled the strength of my plasma and i'm now wounding this this toughness seven target you know it's Probably pretty big, a lot of wounds. Now I'm wounding them on twos. And and just being able to just pick and choose where I put that plus one in any phase, that's just, that's silly. And how many CPs is that? And that's one CP. For, for <laughs> one command point, you get to boost your efficiency by 16.7% you know, on, on anything. So it's just, it's so good. And is that got any restrictions, Logan? Is it, is it just... Um you know, infantry or can use it on a dreadnought? What is, are there any restrictions? So it needs to be a salamanders unit. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Any salamanders unit. Wow. Yeah. So I've, I've used it on my dreadnoughts, used it on my inceptors. Uh, in turns uh, one or four, I'll, I can use it on a melty unit because they, they don't get it in tactical or assault doctrine. But yeah. And, and the a big deal is that it happens in the fight phase. So like you can do it in the fight phase. So if I'm going up against like a tough target, let's say my aggressors are going up against knights. They're strength eight versus toughness eight. Well, salamanders have a stratagem, strength of the primarch. So that's also one command point. I would pick that unit of, uh, of aggressors. They would get plus one to their strength. So they'd be strength nine. And then any unmodified wound rolls of sixes, they're going to uh, double their damage for the attack. So two goes to four, which is which is cool. So now I'm wounding knights on threes. But then I throw Crucible of Battle on it. Now I'm wounding them on twos. And so that's just that's just crazy. Getting Being able to wound a knight on a two, um, that's incredible. So uh, I, lo- I love Crucible of Battle. Um, for my, my second... Um, you know, top pick for you know my favorite stratagem would definitely be Flamecraft. That's that's two command points, and that's where you just pick a unit, and instead of rolling the dice for to see how many flamer shots they get, you just get the max. You just get six shots per flamer. So yeah, if you have a full squad of six aggressors, that's just seventy-two hits 
on a unit. And when you think about if you do that in turn two or three, that's 72 hits at strength four with a plus one to wound at minus one AP. Strong. Yeah. There's not a whole lot in the game that stands up to that. No, no. I mean, even the volume of fire will do work against a tougher target, especially with that plus one to wound. Like you said there, you know, even using that knight example, you know, that's 72 automatic hits going into a knight on fives um, at minus one takes him to a four plus save. So it doesn't even matter if you rotated iron shields or whatever you're going to put wounds through. Um, and that could be enough just to, you know, bracket him, take off whatever it might be to let those aggressors go in and do the rest of the work for you. So um, mate, that's awesome. So what's your last stratagem pick? My last stratagem is, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good ones. Um, I, I think I'd pick a somewhat of a dark horse here. Uh, and I picked the fires of battle. Uh, that's the one that's the mortal wound strat. And that's the one where they had to errata this. Um, it's one of the ones they had to errata as soon as the book came out, basically, because, uh, I pick it in the shooting phase or my opponent's charge phase. And when a salamander's, um, model for my army shoots with a flame or melt a weapon, um, until the end of that phase, every time I roll a wound roll of four plus, I deal a mortal wound. But they had to errata that to cap it at three. So basically, with those flamer aggressors, I, I just spend one CP to do three mortal wounds. And getting that pretty much guaranteed three wounds has been very relevant, especially for uh, the list that I've been playing, where I've been going into smaller units um so they can typically deal with targets uh, that i want them to deal with pretty fine with with a minimum squad of three aggressors but sometimes you come up against um you know a target where it's kind of iffy if you're gonna if they're gonna do it or not uh, so i spend that one cp and then i just make sure okay you know there's there's nine wounds left on this on this vehicle I just spend this one CP now, you know, the math checks out. I should definitely kill the remaining six wounds off of it. Yeah. So I, I think that one is, you know, it has been really good. There's other really strong ones, but I think that's, that would be my pick as a little dark horse. What you're using then Logan to, uh, for me to correct me if I'm wrong is you're looking at the math and you're thinking, I, pr- I think I do this, but it's on the edge of whether I actually achieve it. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to use it. And that's just going to tip me over the edge to ensure I get the result that I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. So if I do the average and let's say I need, I need to deal, you know, 12 wounds and, and I, I do the math. I'm like, okay, I do 12 wounds here on average, like on a bell curve, this is right in the middle. Well, I don't like to be shooting for right in the middle, especially if I go below it and the unit lives and that's bad for me. I want to go like a standard deviation to the right. You know, I, I want to be like, okay, even if something happens, I, I miss a roll here or there on the wound, or they get it, they pick up an extra save here or there because dice happen. I, I want to make sure that I'm I'm above that that average. Um, so something like the fires of battle for one command point, I can just make sure that 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 unit of Scorpec destroyers worth even just one lives they're they're pretty scary um you know just being able to pop that off and just make sure i kill the unit it's big um yeah so yeah for for one cp just like 
basically getting a, a, a three three mortal wounds where I want it. It's been really nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's really good. So I want to go into your approach. Okay, so sure. you've got a slightly different approach than, you know, what I might necessarily teach. And I think that's great is to, sure. you know, really discuss this in a little bit more detail. So do you want to go over your list first or do you want to go over the concept of the list? I, yeah, I guess we can just talk about the list uh, and, and why I made the choices I made. Yeah, let's go through it like the... Obviously, we have the module all about justification of your army, right? And so let's do this. I'm throwing you on the spot now. This is like a lesson um, into Logan's head, how he designed his list and why. So let's let's bring the list up and let's look at, you know, for example, how does it score in the primary? How does it score in the secondaries? How does it deal with some of the harder matchups? So let's really dive into this. But I'm going to yeah. ask you some difficult questions at the end, which is how does somebody play around your list? Okay. Because yeah. I think that's something that I think a lot of listeners are going to get, you know, some really good insight from is how do we go against salamanders and how do we kind of have an answer to some of their tricks that they've got? Mm-hmm. So go for, go for your list then. Okay. Yeah. So I my current list right now is a single Vanguard detachment. And... In the HQ slots, I have a Primaris Lieutenant um, with the Storm Shield, Mastercraft of Power Sword, you know, special pistol. And he has uh, Warlord traits. Uh, he has the Warlord trait Rights of War, so the Objective Secured Aura. And then he also has the Relic, the Obsidian Aquila, which uh, what that does is uh, he had, has a six-inch aura, and he gives a six-plus Fiona Pain to Salamander Core units. Um, which is nice, nice. Mm-hmm. which is different from the apothecary, which only applies it to infantry and bikes, um, which is an important distinction. And then my other HQ is Vulcan. Uh, he's got an amazing role where, you know, he's not a chapter master and a normal chapter master. They just pick a unit and they reroll all hits for all their weapons. What Vulcan does is he picks uh, a salamander's unit and they reroll all hits and wounds for flamer or melta weapons. So with aggressors, rerolling all wounds is so nice. So uh, if I get those, if I have a big block of uh, six aggressors, rerolling those 72 hits, uh, those 72 wound rolls is just ridiculous. Um, so those are my two HQs. And then in my elites, I have a unit of six flamer aggressors and a unit of three flamer aggressors. I have the uh, everyone's favorite, the uh, Primaris Chief Apothecary. Uh, he's my warlord. He has two warlord traits. First is the obligatory selfless healer. And then I give him the Lord of Fire warlord trait, which is a six-inch aura uh, where you know any unit who's firing a flamer, uh, they get to re-roll the dice to see how many hits they get with, with that attack. Uh, so... I'm, I'm going with a single Vanguard. Um, you know, having having that Lord of Fire trait is kind of like a budget option for Flamecraft, which is two command points. So if I don't need uh, Flamecraft, then I just rely on Lord of Fire to give me that extra efficiency with the Flamers. Um, his relic is the Vox Espiritum, which just, you know, bumps out my my auras. So he's now he also has a six plus, uh, six inch Feel No Pain aura. And then his Lord of Fire or goes out to nine inches. So that's that's really nice. 
then I have two company veterans. Uh, these guys are are great for just sitting in my backfield, uh, you know, just kind of zoning out my corner. Uh, if my opponent has sniper rifles, they can uh, run up and protect my my apothecary or whoever with their bodyguard role. Uh, so yeah, two company veterans, they have the uh, chain sword and storm shield. And then I have two, uh, to finish out the, the elite slots, I have two Redemptor Dreadnoughts, and they have the Plasma Incinerators, and then went ahead, you know, always spending the 10 points to upgrade their Flamer to the Gatling Cannon and to give them the Icarus Rocket Pod. Um, yeah, easiest 10 points to spend, <laughs> for sure. And then in the uh, Fast Attack, I have three Attack Bikes with multi melters, and I have six Inceptors with Plasma. And then in the Heavy Support, I have a unit of six Eradicators and a unit of three Eradicators, all with the standard Melter Rifle. Okay, nice. So I want you to, I think you've done a really good job of justifying like your Warlord traits and your, you know, I can see the synergies here and I'm sure most people can, which is great. And obviously you mentioned about that um, ability to give like the Redemptor Dreadnoughts the six plus feel no pain, right? Um, which is awesome. Yeah. Now, what I want to know is, why a unit of six flamer aggressors and why a unit of six plasma inceptors and six eradicators and maybe not a unit of five and this is going to be something that i know people are going to be thinking so sure what's your take on the six rather than the five well a big part of what this list wants to do is i want to spread out so there there's a lot there's a lot going on there's a lot of layers to this so first off um, <laughs> I needed to conserve space to actually fit in uh, everything into this detachment. If you if you notice, I have six elites, two fast attack, two heavy support. Right, I'm filled to the brim. I have no troops in this army, and I wanted to take aggressors and inceptors and eradicators. I wanted to take a lot of them. Right, so I needed to combat squad squad them to save room. Also, six instead of five. I get that ability to combat squad and get that ability to spread out. And for me, having units of three aggressors, three inceptors, three eradicators, they've been fine in, in my games. Uh, it gives me that ability to spread out. And when I do that, I, ha I now have 11 units, 11 different units that my opponent has to worry about that they can all in their own right really affect the board. Aggressors, they just put a way to fire on anything. Inceptors, if you have units of six or more, they're going to just put a hurt on you, even if there's only three. And then three eradicators just showing up wherever I want. You know, six melt the shots, that's, uh, that's really painful. So, you know, just I don't really need more than three to do what I want to do. I've, I've tried units of five. And for me, it's just always been overkill. Another layer to this is a unit of three is way easier to hide than a unit of five. And everything in this game is just so lethal. So hiding is so huge, right? So not only are is most of my list Gravis, which isn't easy to kill, right? You're not going to just throw you know, some, some bolters here and there or some venom shots here and there and, and wipe them out, right? They're not cultists. You have to put something real into killing them. They absolutely will die. But does it, do you really need that much more firepower to kill five aggressors than three aggressors? 
you know, for me, yeah. it's I, I want to be able to hide them. So what you've gone for then, Logan, is that tactical flexibility of what the combat squad gives you. Um, oh, yeah. It, and I think this is something that I see all the time. Um, I really like a six-man unit because of that ability to combat squad. And also, like you said, you can, at the tabletop, decide, do you know what? I need maximum efficiency. Um, so let's say you're playing against knights. Maybe you want to keep them as that big unit of six so you can put oh. all the stratagems on them. Yes. Or if your opponent's got lots of you know, blast weapons, you might go, actually, I'm going to combat squad so I can deny my opponent their efficiencies. So you've got that ability at the table to adjust your army ever so slightly. It's only a 5% adjustment, but maybe it's enough to change the efficiencies in the game, which I absolutely love about the list. So um, Logan, I, th I think that's awesome. And I think stepping away from, you know, just a, a regular battalion uh, to really field the units that you want. Um, and again, it comes down to justifying, are these units worth three CPs? Yes, they probably are. Yeah, yeah. I think also um, when you a couple more points is when you have those larger units. Uh, I found myself using the self-sacrifice stratagem to to protect them because I couldn't really hide them. So I just put a unit of five intercessors or something in front of five aggressors, and then saying, "Hey, you can't shoot these aggressors until these intercessors are dead." But if I have you know, if I have smaller units, I don't really need to do those kinds of shenanigans. I'm not spinning that two command points to keep them alive longer. So it's kind of like I'm trading out um, and I'm, I'm no longer spinning as many command points to keep them alive. You know, with the plus one save from the Marine book, I'm plus one save from the Salamander's book. And so if I'm able to hide, I'm saving those command points. So, yeah, it, for me, it's just a swap of uh, I'm not really not really losing anything yeah it's probably made you a better player because you're not just relying on i'm going to do this one trick i put this unit here i, I spend this stratagem and but you're giving away in the proceeds a hundred point unit like when would you ever do that in any other army i don't think you would you wouldn't just say okay well, you can kill this 100-point unit before you start killing the unit you actually want to kill. You don't want to give your opponent that ability because every single right. turn you do that, that's 500 points of the game you've given away, plus 10 CPs. I know I may have extrapolated things slightly, but still, it, it's a huge burden for your army to take. Whereas if you just learn to you know, move your army better, use terrain, you know, think about your firing lanes so that you can trade and make sure that your opponent won't have range, line of sight, or whatever it might be, onto your unit, then you're going to keep them safe by being a good player rather than relying on crutches like transhuman or, like you said, that plus one save. Or yeah. And I think so many Marine players do rely on their crutches that they have, um, like, like these inbuilt defensive abilities, when in fact I think that they should be used more selectively rather okay. than just every turn because you can. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. And, and then I think one last point is with the, with the new uh, FAQ that came out, with the changes to While We Stand We Fight and everything, um, Marines can take advantage of that if they have large units that can combat squad. So I just played a game recently where, um, you know, I, I decided to, you know, there was no objective in the center of the table. I really wanted to spread out. So I, I wanted to try it. So I, I took um, While We Stand, We Fight, and my three, op my three units are the Aggressors, Inceptors, Eradicators. I combat squatted them, you know, because it, it was appropriate for the matchup anyway. And then I just spread them all around the table. 
And he was playing a Necron list where uh, he didn't really, he, he wasn't taking the units that had speed. He didn't have wraiths or anything like that. So he didn't have the speed to go, okay, I'm going to make sure I kill this unit and this unit on opposite ends of the board. So yeah, it, it's been, you know, there, there's even that extra layer of where it, it helps me with secondaries. Like you said, if I'm going against like a Knight's opponent, I want to keep them all together so that I can spend one CP on those Inceptors. And now I got that huge unit, you know, with a plus one to wound. And then if I do Vulcan on the Eradicators, I'm getting 12 reroll Melta shots, uh, full rerolls with hits and wounds. So yeah, it, it gives a ton of flexibility, um, but uh, I'm able to approach missions and opponents very differently. Today's show is sponsored by Foreground Publishing. Premium pre-painted MDF terrain perfect for your Warhammer 40k 9th edition games as seen on the Vanguard Tactics stream and battle reports. Just unbox, build and play. And to order your set of terrain, just head over to www.foregroundpublishing.co.uk. This podcast is sponsored by C-Studios, the leading commission painting service for tabletop miniatures. From placing your order, seeing the work in progress and receiving your stunning new models, Siege Studios delivers an incredible service and experience. One of the most exciting days I can ensure you is receiving that parcel at the door and unwrapping the best gift ever. To find out more about getting your army commissioned painted by the professionals, check out www.siegestudios.co.uk. So Logan, talk us through how your army scores on, let's cover the secondaries first, because I think it's maybe a little bit easier at the list design to build your army around secondary. So what considerations yeah. have you made around secondary choices and this list? So, oh yeah. So um, when you're when you're thinking about secondaries, uh, I think one of the first places you have to look is your codex specific secondary. And still most of the, the armies out there don't have one. So just being able to have a codex secondary, you already have some kind of an advantage. You know, whereas every you know other armies are you know like Dark Eldar or Harlequins, they're looking for what can they do with the book. <laughs> um, with Space Marines, a, a secondary that you always want to keep your eye on is Oaths of Moment. What makes it such a great secondary is you can score up to four points, which is huge right if you're if you're on a secondary where you can only score three points if, if it's like three or nothing well then you're you're locked into those multiple threes and if you miss a turn well you, there's no way of making it up with oaths a moment you can score anywhere between zero one two three four so if you you know do a turn where you only score two points and the next turn you score four well you've made it up right and so Oaths a moment lets you play catch up and it rewards you for doing what you want to do, which is, you know, not falling back, <laughs> you know, not failing morale checks. It's for killing monsters, vehicles, or characters, and for just having something in the middle of the table. So that one right away is always one uh, that I, I, I want to get and having a lot of units so where I can throw away uh, a small unit right to the middle of the table and say, okay, this is, this is going to die, but maybe you can get some shots on something and it's going to score me two secondary points for oaths. That's, that's totally worth it. Uh, other second, you know, in, in missions where oaths doesn't make sense for whatever reason, then this list being able to shift into while we stand, we fight is also that that's just, that's nice. 
So they're kind of, they're like your interchangeable ones, aren't they? Yeah. I'm, I'm either going to be taking while we stand, we fight or oaths, basically any game. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I guess we have to assume that, <laughs> that I'm playing a mission that, you know, doesn't have a great mission specific secondary uh, because if you're going, if you're playing a mission with, with a great, you know, specific secondary, you can just take that. But, you know, assuming that I have to now go to the book for the other two, then my go-tos are typically, um, I'm either looking at banners or deploy scramblers because I, I do have like a lot of little units. And so it, it's a little harder to zone them out for scramblers. And if I can get on two or three objectives to raise banners, um, that's a really good choice for me. And then the uh, then the last option, I'm either looking at something like domination or engage, or I, uh, a secondary that's you know like assassinate or titan hunter, or bring it down, um, you know in that third slot. So yeah, I think a huge mistake people have is when they play is they just go, oh well, I take engage in all fronts and I take banners, and then I just pick the third one based on my opponent, which is a massive, massive mistake because yeah. The, the mission one, you have to assume is going to be terrible because you can't rely on, and when I say terrible, I mean terrible for your army mm-hmm. because you can't rely on that. And when we're drawing up a game plan, it needs to be repeatable. It needs to be tested. And so therefore you cannot rely on that. And also the better generals that you play, put a list together that don't really give you many secondary options. So therefore you cannot rely on taking, you know, one which is explicitly around killing your opponent. So having these options to go, okay, well, I take banners on a mission where I've got two objectives in reach of my deployment zone or they do not have any, you know, pre-game moving units to prevent me putting up banners or, um, and if there is, then maybe I look at scramblers depending on the deployment zone, if there's a big enough space or maybe they're not able to zone me out until turn three. So I think yeah. that's really good for you to get to the table to go, it's A or B, A is my preference, B is a secondary pick. Um, and then you've also got your option to go, cool, I'm going to go engage in all fronts on these missions. Oh, it's a five objective mission. Domination's looking good. So now you've got these layers of just choices. So you've got oaths or while we stand, you've got banners or scramblers, you've got engage or you've got domination. So you've already got six options there. And then you're looking at, okay, let's have a little look at the mission one, just to tempt myself. Let's have a little look at, you know, how my army or my opponent's army might play um, and whether there's something worth picking there. And I really like that. So that means you've got a list here that's well thought out. You're leaning into your, you know, your army's capabilities, your stratagems, you're leaning into how it plays the mission, how it's going to score. You've obviously thought about how it scores in the primary because your whole army's pretty much obsec now because of those warlord traits. So I really love the detail that you've gone into this, Logan, and it really shows that you've gone deeper than just the ordinary. You know, you haven't just taken um, three units of intercessors to hold the backfield, which I hear all the time, um, you know, when we're looking at lists. And you need to have your, I don't know if you agree with me, but I like troop choices with OBSEC not to be in my backfield, but they need to be in the middle of the table where they actually have to contest an objective where an opponent might have a unit that hasn't got OPSEC because they're using their fast attack to, you know, push them into the middle of the table. If I can get an OPSEC unit on there, 
brilliant. Now I'm taking that off them. If I've got my obsec, that special rule in my own backfield where my opponent's not even going to touch, it's pointless even having that ability. And this is where those company veterans of yours can just sit in the backfield. They can hold the objective because they don't need that objective secured keyword. Uh, But like you've kind of gone through, and if you're listening, if you pick out everything Logan said about his list, he's got two to three reasons as to why he's got each of those units and the utility that unit's going to give him on the table. So for example, the aggressors, they deal with horde or they can deal with tougher targets in combat. So there's utility there. He can use the unit of three, turn one as it moves forward to do an action because they're probably not going to be in range at 12 inches. So there's all this utility to every single unit. And that's really what makes a great list. And you can clearly see here that Logan's thought critically. And Logan, how long have you been playing Salamanders this year? Oh, um, since before, uh, yeah, for, for a while, um, you know, the whole lead up to ninth and everything I've just been, I've just been working and tuning salamanders, um, been playing a lot of games for them. And yeah, I have a ton of reasons for all of these picks, but yeah, um, you you know, you're right. You, you need to have all that, that solid justification for everything you do. And I agree, like having that OPSEC in the middle of the table is, is huge. And that is annoying to deal with. But when I think about like Marines, I'm spending a hundred, you know, looking at like uh, incursors or infiltrators, like I'm spending 120 points for infiltrators to go up to that part of the board. And they like, honestly, infiltrators don't really kill anything other than, you know, like the weakest of units out there, like drones or cultists or anything like that. Yeah. Or I could spend 120 points on aggressors. Now, the same points, but the, and those aggressors, yeah, they're slower, but they can advance and shoot. And they don't really shy away from any target out there. You know, if it's Mortarion or it's Poxwalkers or, you know, it's Primaris Marines, whatever it is, they don't care. You know, they, they can do damage. And so um, for me, it's like, you know, with, with Marines, it's like I'm really not spending that much that many more points, if any, to get these way more efficient units. Now, if I was playing a, a different army where they're, you know, I could ditch one of these elite units to get two or even three obsec uh, troop units, then that would be super tempting. But um, Marines, are, it's yeah. all expensive. And also, you've got to think like the the units, for example, like my incursors in my Blood Angel list are there for a certain role. And that's actually to protect mm-hmm. my characters. So my characters can move into the bubbles that I create with those incursors because they've got that pre-game movement because they can keep up with the rest of my army. And also what they do is allow me to zone out where I want my death company to move into. So there's utility there rather than just going, yeah. I'm taking these three units of this because of this reason. And again, so do you think this is something that the, the Academy's helped you with and something that you've yeah. learned from the Academy and some of the lessons? Yeah, because it, it's it's about thinking critically. And what the Academy you know has helped me do is like there's so many moments at every point in the game, uh, you know, not just list building and not just like rolling dice, but it really is thinking through and setting yourself up for that success. So like in your list and cursors, they're not the best unit. Right, they're they're not the most efficient. They're not going to just put the game on their back and you're going to punch your way through every every game. But they they're all those little moments, like you said, where Death Company they need that room to breathe. 
right? So, okay, well, how do you get that room? Well, and cursors can now give that to you, but there's all these other things that they can do. They can be that OPSEC. They have minus one AP. And with Blood Angels, you know, they get that plus one to wound, right? So there's like all these little things you're thinking through of not only in deployment, but also like first move, like first turn, second turn, and like, you know, shooting, assault, you know, charge phase, fight phase. Like there's all these little things. And I think what the Academy does a great job of is address all of those moments and say, here's what you need to keep in mind, right? Here are the questions you need to be asking yourself and how does it apply to your army? And what approach are you going to bring? Because it's not enough to say, oh, I'm going to bring three units of incursors and my uh, my White Scars army because Stephen Box does it in his Blood Angels army and it works well for him. It's like, well, okay, well, think through that. Is that your best choice? Like, Look at the rest of your army. Does it make sense in the context of what you're doing, your play style and everything? And there's a lot of moments uh, throughout the game where you can make a mistake or you can capitalize on someone else's mistake, or you can defend yourself from uh, your opponent and like their stratagems and what, you know, their special abilities. And so I, I feel like the more and more you play 40 K, the more and more you see all of these small ways that really can take a unit from okay to great or the opposite way where you come in and you think like, this is a great unit but then you get caught out on a, on a special ability or a weird interaction. And then you just, you know, you face plant. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think that the Academy, just like thinking through all that ahead of time, you come, you become way more prepared in all sorts of different situations. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's not about, um, I think you've raised some really good points that I want, you know, people to really understand is it's not just about here's the best list. This is what you need to run, or this is an archetype that I would recommend you follow. It's what is it that you're comfortable playing? Because if you're not comfortable in the combat phase, then don't run my style of list because mm. I am very comfortable playing aggressive. I am very comfortable making every single unit charge turn one or turn two. If I've got that ability, I'm happy to do it because I'm familiar with that. Whereas actually, if you're more comfortable playing a little bit cagey, you know, using MSU units, you know, looking at firing lanes or having a really good strong castle that's pretty much impenetrable and you're really detailed in all your aura ranges and, you know, order of movement to make sure you can move this castle up the middle of the table, then great. We're going to help you play in the style that you want to play in. And having a list that really emphasizes that is epic. You know, we've got some people on our academy with some crazy list ideas, but I love it because, again, it's all about justification as to what you want to bring to the table, why, and uh, yeah, really making the most of that. And honestly, Logan, I absolutely love your list. I think it's awesome. I think you've done a great job at not only justifying everything, and I think this has been a real kind of masterclass in itself for people to understand exactly what it takes to go through a, and refine a list so much, try out lots of different units. So, just for the last sort of five or so minutes, how do we work around salamanders? Like what tips would you mm. give people to when they're coming up against salamanders at the table, they've obviously got incredible shooting, they're durable, mm -hmm. they can they can hit hard in combat. What is it that they're weak at? Where do you sometimes feel like, oh, this is a bad matchup for me? And what what's going through your head at the table? So give the guys some hope. How do they beat the salamanders? Yeah, yeah. For for me, 
what can really frustrate this list is well, you know, if, if there's not if there's not great terrain and you have a shooting army and you go first, well, you know, my my all of my units are pretty you know frail, and if I can't hide, then I just die. Um, <laughs> But, you know, in, in a typical game, uh, what I've seen, you know, things that my opponents can do to really disrupt my game plan is if you can be aggressive and get right in my face and dictate my movement phase. Because a lot of my units, like once I set them, they're kind of just there. My, my main movement really is coming from my attack bikes, my inceptors, coming out of deep strike. And if I'm outflanking a unit or two of eradicators, like that's that's my primary movement. Everything else, even even on a, sh on a smaller table, uh, my aggressors aren't going to come from one corner of the table to the other, right? They're they're going to move from my deployment zone to somewhere in the middle, and if they get a charge or something, they might start getting close to your deployment zone. I'm I'm not really I'm not really swarming the board like Harlequins, but if you can. Like a like a Necron opponent who can jam two Satan in my face. I don't. I only. I'm only dealing damage in uh, shooting and fight phase, and I have to finagle a way to also deal damage in the charge phase on Overwatch. So, you know, there are things that you can do to to like really push to get aggressive, push in on this list and zone out things like the Inceptors and Eradicators that that want to come in. Uh, attack bikes that want to shoot up a flank of the board. So if you can deny movement, uh, that's that's really big against this. Now, if you're doing that, you're exposing yourself, and whatever you put out there is going to die. I mean, these are eleven really efficient units. But if when the smoke clears and I'm still in my deployment zone, then that's not good for me, right? There's only five turns in this game. You know that, that's that's huge. Losing an entire turn, going from six to five, that's that's big. So I I need to get I, I have the this plan of where I put when I put my units down, I put them there, and I say by the end of the game, I want them here. If you can keep me from getting the unit from point A to point Z, um, then yeah, you're you've really disrupted my ability to score points. So for for me, it's really all about. The movement phase, uh, where this this uh, list is, can be vulnerable, and where other armies are really good at that. Yeah, so units like which can go into your units that maybe aren't quite as good in combat, for example, charging those eradicators, making them fall back, making you spend stratagems, because you're unlikely to punch yourself out of every single situation. So let's say I'm playing Drakari do you know what? I'm probably going to charge you with a Venom because you probably won't kill a Venom in combat. And then that way you're you're pretty much, if I've got some Cabalites that have come out, I can move block you. So I can literally just stop you from progressing up the table. Yeah, I'm probably not going to charge into a unit of aggressors, but maybe I've got some other tools in my toolbox to deal with that problem. And I think that's what it's all about is understanding the threats of your list. Okay, yeah. aggressors, I've got a short range. 
okay, that gives me some time to maybe spread out, move out and keep away from your threat range to prevent you from having an easy charge, you know, from making sure that I'm constantly, you know, 12.1 inches away from being able to charge. So if you've got a five inch move, then obviously I'm just going to be 17.1 inches away from you every turn. That means that you're forcing you to advance to shoot me. You're then not charging me. And again, it's just shutting down your efficiencies in all the phases of the game that your army's so good at playing at actually i'm now dictating what you can do and i think that's really how you beat the salamanders isn't it yeah yeah like using your using superior movement and positioning using the terrain to your advantage doing things like uh, charging me from where i can't get overwatch because if aggressors get to overwatch a venom they'll just kill it um and salamanders they have a separate overwatch stratagem born protectors so i've actually you know overwatched twice with an aggressor unit um and that's really nasty when that happens but yeah using superior maneuverability and positioning to throw me out of position that's that's the best way to that i've found to really frustrate and beat this list um because it's it's going to score points unless if you just uh, unless if things work out and you're able to just shoot me off the table which you know that does happen you know sometimes you go to an event and you're on planet bowling ball and you lose the role to go first and your opponents add mech, like things happen. Um, but it, you know, it, it's this, this list for the most part is very consistent at scoring its points. And so if you can just disrupt that uh, plan in small ways and just peel off points here and there and, you know, pick up points here and there, like you, you can, you can beat it for sure. Um, but, uh, the hope is, is that I'm playing at the top of my game. I see what you're doing. I'm trying to adapt and, you know, really try to make a game of it. Yeah, no, I love that, mate. Um, no, I think we've covered some really good aspects that people can take away from this. So Logan, I just want to say a massive thank you for your time today. Um, it's, it's been a great show. I think you've really covered in, um, you know, the details of not only what it takes to be a good coach, but you've also covered, you know, your, a real deep dive into how you've perfected your list. And I think some of the benefits as to playing an army that you know, rather than just picking up a new army every single week, you're really honing your craft. You used a word earlier, tuning, which I love that. You're really tuning this army to be your own, uh, your unique army. And that's kind of why I think I had so much success last year with the Blood Angels was because it was my list. I had so many repetitions with it and I know people have used it as a template they've tried it they maybe haven't had the success I had because they didn't understand the why why everything's in that list and how they can get it to work so again Logan thanks so much Um, and a massive thank you to all of our show sponsors as well Uh, you've got Seed Studios for all your commission painting you've got Foreground Publishing for your terrain Um, you've recently got a set of terrain Logan yourself haven't you? Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I just, you know, I, I have never really had that much terrain. And then I, I got this set and I put it all together in a night, um, put it on the table and I love it. I actually, you know, got to use it in a live game. Um, it's, it, it's really solid terrain. That's awesome. And, you know, it, we put it together in a way to really make sure that um, you know, it can fill a table up really, really well. So uh, yeah, massive thank you to all of our sponsors. So Logan, thanks again. And uh, I'm sure the guys in our academy and students will be itching to give this a listen to get to know you a little bit more as well. And um, really excited about this year and what we can do together, mate. Yeah, absolutely. 
Right, well, take care, and I'll see you next week on the Competitive 40K podcast.